be aware of this picture on the board. It's called the Believer's Spiritual Life and Walk. You notice there's a cute little baby on it and a big black line until the point of the cross. What color does the line turn after that? Blue. And on the top of the blue line, you have green rectangles of different sizes and lengths. And on the bottom of the blue line, you have red rectangles of different sizes and lengths. And then what do you notice at the far end, right next to the blue diamond on the blue line? There's three little letters in that gray rectangle. What are they? R-I-P. Very good. It means rest in peace. It's a common phrase that we put on the tombstones where we mark where the bodies of those whom we love have been buried when their soul has departed and gone to be with the Lord if they trusted Christ to be their Savior, or gone to await their time in the lake of fire if they failed to believe in him. And so the timeline that's on the screen in front of you represents the physical life that you have. You start as a baby, and you end in a grave. That's how it works. There are only a few handfuls of people who have gotten out of this world without being put in a grave. And ironically, Jesus was put in a grave, but then was raised up from the third from the grave the third day, according to scriptures, and ascended alive into heaven. There are a couple of others, none of which who are our Savior or who re were resurrected, but who we know went straight up into heaven from God's word. Do you guys have any idea who they may be? Elijah. Elijah went up in a chariot of fire. God did not strike him dead or take him physically dead. He brought him up into heaven, physically alive. Chariot of fire just went right up into heaven, and Elijah went there. We also have Enoch, or Enoch. Enoch was said to be walking with God, and then he was and he was not. He just up in heaven. No body for him, no grave, just not here. We also have those who departed this world and did not go up to be with God or did not go to paradise, but rather went to a place called torments. There was a rebellion in Israel, and Korah was one who was a leader of the rebellion. They were rebelling against what they thought was Moses and Aaron's leadership. But if we pay attention in God's word, we see that Moses and Aaron were put into leadership by God himself. So when Korah and those associates of his, those friends that went along with him, decided they wanted to be the, elite, the leaders and the authorities, they were not fighting against those who were in authority, Moses and Aaron. They were fighting against the one who put them there, God himself. And so God instructed Moses to tell the people to get back from them. And long story short, the ground opened up and swallowed Korah and the rebellious with him right into the depths of the earth. They went to torments, perhaps, if they had not trusted what God had done and would do for sending his son to be their, their savior. So we have people who have left this world alive, but it's few and far between, and they all have their specific purposes in having 
the part of this earth alive. But for the rest of us, we will not depart this earth alive. Now, a little baby on this timeline needs some things. You guys have seen babies. It's common that we see a baby. What do they need as babies? Say a fresh-born infant. What does a fresh-born infant need? They need air, huh? Yeah. They need oxygen, air. Regardless of how well they're breathing, right? They need air. Who do, do who does a newborn baby need? Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Do they need a mommy and a daddy? Yeah. They do. Because a newborn baby cannot take care of itself, can it? It doesn't know how to take care of itself. It doesn't have the ability in its body, to, in its brain, to connect to all the ways that it needs to do things so that when it, when it needs to reach out and grab some food, it doesn't have the ability with its mind to control that yet. It has to learn that. It has to develop. And so it needs food. It needs oxygen. It needs its parents. And what does the mommy provide? Milk. Milk. God's designed the mother's body to be able to provide for its child milk. And the milk gives the child nourishment. It gives the nutrients. It gives the food that it needs, that the baby needs, in order to grow strong and to develop and to continue to develop. And so with this little tiny baby on our timeline, it spends the first few years of its physical life developing to a place where it can then actually reach out and grab food for itself. It grows over time, but it needs the mommy and the daddy there to take care of how it develops and teach it how to develop and provide all that it needs to develop. And it needs that milk initially to give the nutrition, to give all the food it needs to grow strong. The verse today that we're looking at is 1 Peter 2, and we'll also um, touch on verse 1 and 3 as well. Verse 2 says, Like newborn babies long for the pure milk, of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. When are you born spiritually alive? Not physically alive, like this baby at the beginning of its timeline here, the black diamond starts the timeline, but when are you and I as children of God born spiritually alive? Yes. Right here at the cross, when we trust Christ to be our Savior. When we hear the message that God has won the battle over sin and death, and we believe that Jesus paid the penalty for our sins, then this black line turns to a blue line. Did you know there's a blue line on your timeline? Well, there's not. This is a picture. It's, a, it's, a, it's an image that shows us of some things so we can look at it visually and see with our eyes what God has done for us in reality, what he has done when you trust Christ to be your Savior, trusting that God says in the gospel, you're saved. God takes you out of the lake of the, the condemnation to the lake of fire and puts you in Christ where you are safe forever. Never again to be concerned about being judged in the lake of fire for eternity. And that's why, if you notice the blue line that changes here from the black to the blue, when you die physically, the blue line goes dashed up. And it goes green over with an arrow. Because you will never 
be outside of God in his righteousness that he has put you in in Christ once you trust Christ to be your Savior. We'll explain some more of that in just a little bit, probably. But our passage today that we're teaching from is focused on the newborn baby's longing for the pure milk of the word. Now, when this little baby is born, what does it need? Milk from who? It's mommy. When you and I are born here at the cross, what do we need? We need milk. Where do we get our milk from? Well, what's the, what's the verse say? Go ahead and take a look at it. It says, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word. So the baby gets the food it needs to grow physically from its mommy's milk, but the believer gets the food it needs to grow spiritually from the word of God. That's why we go to church. We go to church to hear God's word spoken to us, communicated to us, talked to us, told to us by the pastor (laughs) who God has put in that position to teach us his word and help us understand what God has said, not what the pastor wants to say, but what God has said. And as we listen to God's word and the Holy Spirit teaches us his word, then we are able then to grow by the pure milk of the word. It says so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. We start as spiritual infants, little tiny spiritual babies. The moment we trust Christ to be our Savior. The Bible says our sins are forgiven. That's all that marks us out as an infant in Christ. We don't yet know how to, how to walk with God. We don't yet know of all the promises that he's given us, all the grace that he shows to us. All we have to do, the Bible says, is to long for the pure milk of the word and order that we can grow by it. The word for long there is a word that means to earnestly yearn for. It means to do something because you have a desire for something. To long for it earnestly, to desire it earnestly. It's a word that is intense. It's not just simple. Meaning that if I tell you to, hey, go over to your friend's house, Or if I say, run quickly over to your friend's house, there's a difference, right? Walking is very simple. doesn't take a lot of effort. Not always that fast. But if I were telling you to sprint as fast as you can, that's far more intense to do. It's harder to do, huh? It takes a lot more effort. We are to have an intense desire for the pure milk of the word of God. The word pure there means not having anything that takes away from it or adds to it in a way that changes it. We've got milk in our fridge at home, right? And when you get milk, what's the one thing you would like to put in it more than anything else? Cookies? Does that change the milk when you dip cookies in the milk? It does, huh? Because then you get the flavor of the cookies in the milk. You get the little crumbs in the milk. It adulterates the milk. It adds to it and changes it, right? We are told to long for the pure milk of the word so that we can grow by it. 
not to add to what God has said, not to take away what God has said, not to mix it together with other things so that we confuse what the pastor mean, what the pastor is saying with what God is saying, or what our experience is, the things we've gone through with with that uh, confusing that with what God has said. We are to see the the milk of the word of God completely without anything mixing it and causing it to change. And what's the reason? Does he tell us in this passage? What's the reason? It says, so that by the unadulterated, by the pure milk of the word of God, you may have the potential to grow in respect to salvation. Now there's two things about that word, that phrase, you may grow. You do not grow from the word of God just by hearing the word of God presented. I read to you 1 Peter 2, 2, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. That didn't grow you just to hear those words come out of my mouth and into your ears. It doesn't change you just to hear them. But you have the opportunity to, the potential to, the possibility to grow when you hear the word of God. So what makes the possible real? What makes the pretend not imaginary, but actual? Well, there's a process. In James, we're told to let the word of God take hold in us. It's in James chapter 1, verse 21. It says, therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all... Bring this up for you. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls, as James 1.21. The word of God is able to grow us spiritually. It's able to deliver our souls. Oh, that's an interesting concept. We probably won't get to that today, but it's an interesting concept. But what does it say we have to do right here? In humility, receive the word. You can hear the word, but reject what it says. You can hear the word and say, no, that's not true. You can hear the word and say, that's true, but I don't want it. And it will not change you. Because God gave you and I the ability to make decisions. To choose what we'll listen to. To choose what we'll make important. To choose what we will accept, what we will reject. What we will pursue, what we will desire. First Peter tells us to desire the pure milk of the word of God so that we may grow by it or in respect to it. So we are to have an earnest desire, an intense desire, one which causes us to put out effort to pursue and get the milk of the word of God. In order that because by hearing it and by receiving it, accepting it, that's what causes us to then grow in respect to our salvation. First John chapter 2 Verses 12 through 15, John says, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. The words little children mean spiritual infant. 
a brand new baby in Christ, someone who has just trusted Christ to be their Savior and hasn't yet learned anything by the Word of God. They don't know anything yet. They just have had their sins forgiven. And it goes from a little child to just a child to a young man to a father in this example that John gives about how we grow spiritually. If we long for the pure milk of the word and we accept the word, it is able to grow us. The word of God has the power to change us. When we accept what God says and we believe what he says, depending upon it, it does the work to change what we think and what we do. There's times when you can look back and you can see in your own walk with God that you have not believed the right things. Times in my life I've not believed the right things. I've made the wrong things important. I've pursued the wrong things. I've over-prioritized certain things. There are times where I knew what was right, but I didn't want it. And so I rejected what God said. And in all those times, which you can actually see are those red times on the timeline. We'll explain that later. In all those times, I wasn't growing spiritually. And I was left completely in the pig's pen and all the muddy muck and slop and yucky food particles and scraps that were there, I was left there because I had chosen to reject God's word. Growing by the word of God means that we have to hear the word of God purely, and it has the ability and the power to change what we think. When we accept what God says, and that becomes our thinking, the way we think, and what we believe, then does our behavior change? It does. We stop thinking about ourselves. We stop pursuing what we want. We stop over-prioritizing the wrong things, even good things. And instead, we start growing spiritually. So salvation starts the spiritual life of the believer but the word of God provides the nourishment, the nutrients, the food the believer needs to grow. And if we don't have the pure milk of the word, nothing mixed into it, then we will not grow spiritually and not have the potential to grow spiritually. But we also have to accept the word of God so that it can deliver our souls. The phrase deliver our souls means to take us through the circumstances and situations of our life in a way that is righteous rather than in a way that is not good for us. See, everything that God tells us to do is what's best for us. Even the discipline that God gives us. When he tells us, no, that wasn't the right thing to do. I've allowed these consequences to take place because it's a reminder to you to trust me, not to trust yourself. All those things that take place are designed by God to show us there is a better way for you to live. And it's by trusting me that you see that way. We get caught up in all the things that we like and we want. And what ends up happening is we start to think that our relationship with God and the things that we have in this life come through God being pleased with us rather than just by his grace. This last week I had the opportunity to do a lot of hunting and as I was hunting, I was spending time, as I usually do, talking with God about various different things. I spent a lot of time looking at sagebrush, looking at grass, trying to decipher, is that an elk behind that grass moving, or is it not? 
And as I'm doing so, I'm thinking about my relationship with God and talking with Him, praying to Him. Sometimes I get caught up in the hunt and wanting to get things, get the animal, and says, "Lord, you bring me the animal, show me the animal." On two different occasions this trip, I say, "God, I'm not seeing any elk. Can you show them to me?" And within three or four seconds, I found elk. God answered those prayers on two different days. Now, how many times do you think I've prayed that prayer? A lot of times. It's the one thing you're looking for. It's the one thing you want. But what oftentimes will happen is if I don't, if I pray that prayer and I don't get the answer where, hey, look, there's the elk, then I go, oh, God must be unhappy with me. Now, do you think that's true? You don't know all the things that I think, say, and do. And they're not always good, are they? God knows all the things I think, say, and do. Sometimes I don't even know all the things I think, say, or do. My poor wife has reminded me of a number of things, especially recently, that I've done that I've gone, I don't even remember that. But yes, she does. Or she's making it up and I have no recourse. <laughs> we don't know all the things that we do that are right or wrong. Some of the things we do, we know are wrong, and the things we do are wrong, and we have no clue that they were wrong. We have to learn that they're wrong. But no matter what, the answer to our prayers when we get what we want from God, or when God says, no, I'm not going to give you that, it's not because he's happy with us, because we did what he said or not. God doesn't treat us like that. That's how we treat each other. If you do what I like, I'll be happy with you. Well, that's sinful. That's the area of strength of our sin nature. And so we get caught up in pleasing people. And we turn that, pleasing people, into the idea that I have to please God by doing what he says in order to get good things from him. Well, that's not God. That's a lie. God will always give us what's best for us. The question is, will we always receive what he gives us? Or will we instead attempt to take for ourselves something we think is good and miss out? on the best thing that God is giving us. We cannot think that God is like man because he is unlike any other. There is no one like God who can know him or who can correct him. But he has given us the mind of Christ, the word of God, so that we can grow by the pure milk that it provides to us in our spiritual life. Go back to 1 Peter 2.1. We didn't read this verse yet, but it's a part of the same sentence as verses 2 and 3. Verse 1 of 1 Peter 2 says, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. We have to do this first. Malice is every bad thing. Those things that we do that are worthless. All sin is worthless. The word for malice is kakion, and it means what is has no value in itself. It's completely worthless. We're to put that aside. We're also to put aside deceit, dolon. Dolon is actually the opposite of that word in verse 2 for pure milk of the word. We are to long for the pure milk of the word, the, word the, the milk of the word that is without deceit, nothing added to it. 
But in verse 1, we are to put aside all deceit. This word has the idea of trying to get something you want by choosing carefully how to deceive someone or manipulate someone into giving you what they want. Sometimes instead of asking for what we want, what do we do? I really like that. We say something like that, huh? And the hope is that by saying that, the person says, oh, if you like it, well, you can have it. When all we really just need to do is say, hey, can I have some of that? And see what they say. That's this idea of deceit, craftiness, trying to figure out a way to get what you want from somebody else. And so you deceive them. You manipulate them. We need the word of God that's not manipulated, not crafty, given to us, not from someone who's trying to make it more or less than it is in order for us to grow. But we have to put aside deceit in ourselves, And we also have to put off this thing called hypocrisy. Hypocrisy in English is saying one thing and doing another. The hypocrisy in the Greek, from the Greek word hypocrisis, identifies being under judgment being under something that you're, by your actions, you are being judged as not living up to the standard, even a standard that you would say is the right standard. If I say to my daughters, it's not okay to lie, that is wrong to do, it's sin to lie, but then I go and I lie, am I not under the judgment for lying that I told my daughters they should not do? I'm under judgment. I'm judged based upon my actions that I have done that didn't vi- that violate the standard. That's this idea of hypocrisy here. We're to put aside all of the actions that we do that bring us under judgment that are against the standard. We're also to put aside this thing called evil, or excuse me, envy. We're supposed to put aside envy. Envy comes from the Greek word it's very difficult to say for me as an English speaker because it's got a PH and a TH. It's th, and it's very difficult to say. But it's phthanos. It's the idea that you want something that somebody else has. You want something that somebody else has. Take a look here. I've got this definition already. I want to make sure we don't mix it with jealousy because jealousy and envy are two different things. The word phthanu means to desire what somebody else has. Not something like what they have, but to desire the very thing that they have. It could be a lot of good friends. could be a lot of money could be a nice job, a nice husband or wife, to desire the one that they have. That's what this word envy means. We are told to put this aside. We're also told then to put aside this thing called slander. Slander is from the Greek word kata lalia, and it talks about speech that 
tells something bad about another person in order to change how people think of them. If I was really unhappy with one of my friends and I told my other friends, well, that person, they just, you know, they just think that they're all hot stuff. Now, they may think they're all hot stuff. They may think they're the most important person that's ever walked the face of the earth second to Jesus. But if I just want someone to think badly of them, and I know that they'll think badly of them if I tell them something about that person that they don't like, that's slander. <clears throat> Me trying to change how a person is thought of by telling something that changes that person in another person's eyes. Do, do these things happen around you in your day-to-day and your week? Hopefully not that often. Certainly, hopefully not as our family together. But these things I know happen around you in this world. In school, I am certain that you see envy, people wanting what somebody else has. In school, I'm certain you see people slandering, saying things they shouldn't say about people. Deceit and worthless things. We see these things because they're a part of the human nature. The sinful nature that we have produces these things. And that's one thing that we need to recognize. If we're going to long for the pure milk of the word in order that we can grow by it from our spiritual infancy up to a spiritual adult, we have to put aside all of these things. These things are from our sin nature. We can't grow spiritually and be walking by our sin nature. We're told to put these things aside, to take them down, set them aside, and leave them alone. But we don't do that by ourselves. We participate. Because what God has done when giving us his Holy Spirit is given to us someone who says, I will assist you in these things. I will help you. I'll be your helper. Remember Jesus said, I will send you a helper, and he will assist you and guide you into all truth, convicting the world of sin and unrighteousness. So he says, hey, this is sin in your life. We need to take care of this and deal with it. And you can either say yes or no. So when he sees malice or deceit or hypocrisy and envy or slander, and he says, hey, this is going on in your life. This, is, this isn't right. You have to say, I agree. And when you say, I agree, then he says, then we need to confess this to the Father. And when we confess our sins, what does the Bible tell us? God is faithful and God is righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We participate in putting aside malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander by relating to God when the Holy Spirit convicts us, tells us this is sin, and we say, I agree. That's not what's best for us. And we confess it to God. We have to do that before we long for the pure milk of the word. All the malice, all the deceit, all the hypocrisy, everything from our sin nature, all that it does is distract us from God and his righteousness. It keeps us walking from the flesh so that we do not grow spiritually. If we're not walking spiritually, if we're walking by the flesh, then we cannot please God. We cannot do God's will for our life because we walk by faith in order to do God's will, in order to please God. It doesn't change what he does for us. It changes what we receive of what he does. He's always giving to us the same thing. Whether we accept it or reject it is up to us. So we have to put aside all these things and participate in the process that God has given, and that's simply the Holy Spirit convicts, we agree, and we let it go. 
We confess that to God and we forget about it and we move on until the next time we're convicted of something else or the same thing. That's what we have to do before we can grow by the word of God. Now, there's the, that final verse, verse 3. We are to grow, or we are to receive, long for the pure milk of the word, so that we may grow by it in respect to salvation, if we have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Have we tasted the kindness of the Lord? Yes or no? Well, what, what Peter is writing here is not, maybe you have, maybe you haven't. He says, since you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Put aside your sin nature's fruit, what it produces. Let go of, work with the Holy Spirit, let him do the work in you and work together with him to put these things aside so that as newborn spiritual babies, you can long for the pure miracle word in order that you may grow by it since you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Where kindness doesn't mean like we would think about in English just to be nice to one another, to not be mean. The word kindness is Christos. It's in the same word family as their word for grace. It talks about the fact that we have received the best from God that we needed in our situation. Have we gotten the best from God? That's all he gives us because he loves us. In salvation, what was the best thing that we could receive? A savior. One who by our faith in him being the grace of God to us gives us salvation. So yes, we have tasted the kindness of the, word, kindness of the Lord. And therefore, because we've tasted the kindness of the Lord, we should put aside all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn babies, spiritual infants, we should then long for the pure milk of the word. And that word for long is a command. We're commanded by God to desire intensely, to put effort forward to learn the pure milk of the word of God. That's what gives us the ability to grow spiritually. So what do we take away from this passage? Number one, if we're walking by the sin nature, we have to confess it to God. If we see malice, if we see deceit, hypocrisy, envy, or slander, as verse 1 and 1 Peter 2 talks about, if we see those things in our life, we must put those aside. When? Every time we see them. Anytime we see this in nature leading us, we've got to put it aside. Once we put it aside, where do we turn our attention to? The Word of God. How do we put aside all those things? We accept the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Him showing us that those things are sin. We accept that those are not the best things for us, and we repent, we change our thinking about them, and we confess them to God. That's how we put them aside, because what does God do when we confess? He takes them away from us. If we never confess, we will never put them aside, we'll never be in a place where we can grow by the word of God. And why are we to do this? Because we have tasted the best from God for us, from his grace. God has given us so much. Are we grateful for it, or do we ignore it? Do we recognize how good God has been in giving us a Savior and providing for us all our daily needs, 
Or do we get caught up in the things of this life, the things of our day, the things of our sin nature, and forget not just about God, but also his word? Well, we often do that. Far more than either of us would like to admit. But it's very simple. And it always is the same thing. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's it. That's how we put it aside. And once we put it aside, we turn our attention back to God and his word so that we can grow spiritually and be faithful in serving him. Now, this diagram, we haven't yet explained either the colors and what they represent or the rectangles. Green is representative of spiritual growth and spiritual fruit. You've heard of the fruit of the Spirit? When we walk spiritually, the fruit of the Spirit is developed in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. So these, anytime you see the green, we're talking about spiritual maturity or spiritual maturing, growing spiritually, being changed from a spiritual infant to a spiritual adult. The red rectangles identify the times we spend operating from our sin nature, walking by its leadership. That's that part of verse 1, when we're producing malice, we're producing deceit, hypocrisy, all the things of our sin nature. Now notice the green rectangles, spiritual growth, maturity, righteousness. The red rectangles, fleshly growth, fleshly unrighteousness, they're not on at the same time. The reason we've got a top and a bottom of this timeline is because when you walk spiritually with God, when you're walking obeying Him, you grow spiritually in green. But when you stop, you start walking carnally from your sin nature. These things are nothing new for us. We've learned these things. But notice the blue line stays blue. It doesn't turn black. Well, black is referring to us being sinful. But we're a new creature in Christ, and we trust Christ to be our Savior, aren't we? So the black line changes to blue. Blue in Scripture is symbolic of righteousness. And so we, who were unrighteous, became the righteousness of God in Christ when we trusted him. We're saved forever, but we have to grow in respect to our salvation. And we do that when we spend time in these green rectangles. Now notice the green of the arrow is different in color than the green of the green rectangles. Because when we depart from this earth, we will never again walk by our sin nature. And that is something I don't think we can even fathom. But while we walk this earth, however long this green rectangle is, or short this one is, or long this one is, is all based upon our willingness to reject our sin nature and accept what God says in his word. And that's how we grow spiritually. That's our life and walk together as spiritual children of God. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll come up and we'll stand and sing together the last verse of Amazing Grace, verse 5, and close out the service for the day. Let's pray. Father, you have been so kind to us. The word kind as we understand it, does not even give us a good grasp 
on what you have really done for us. You have done above and beyond and exceeded everything that we could ever ask or think. For you have given us your Son, sacrificing him on our behalf and in our place so that we could become your children if we trust him. I'm grateful, Father, that those in this room have all trusted him to be your Savior. And as we together grow from the spiritual infants to spiritual adults, show us the plan and the walk that you have for each of us. As parents in this room, show us how to teach our children and train them to walk with you. May our focus not be to get caught up in the things of this world and them being good people or meeting the standard that we want them to have and being who we want them to be. But may we instead turn our focus to whether they are walking with you and train them to do so. And just as they are trained, we recognize we too are trained. All of us being your children, trained by your spirit, by our loving Father who you are. May we be willing as well as parents and children in this room to receive that training and see all that you have for us. We're grateful for the opportunity to do this together today and for giving us this time together. May it be an impactful moment in our spiritual walk with you as a family and as individuals in your family. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and sing Amazing Grace. We'll sing the fifth verse, which I have. What's your fifth verse over there? Okay, why don't we go ahead and we will 